And we just want to say thank you for the privilege of assembling in your name. Lord, we're thankful that not one of us stand here today in our own efforts, our own goodness. But the only thing that makes us worthy to pray unto you, to sing these songs of praise to you, is the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, we ask that you would help us to simply love you in these last days and serve you this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll have the children dismissed to the children's church and the toddler's church. So do that. The rest of us, let's turn to John chapter 14. Very familiar passage, I would trust, uh, for those that uh, know their Bible. And uh, if you're not familiar with this passage, I would encourage you to to read it over and over again until uh, you have it not only in your head, but in your heart as well. Uh, how many times have you heard this phrase? And we're not talking about just in a Bible context or whatever. I, uh, I think um, I've heard... Uh, one of the talk show hosts, Sean Hannity, used this all the time uh, uh, in great uh, movies that have been made, this phrase, let not your heart, let not your heart be troubled. How many times have you heard that? Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know where they're getting it. And uh, this is not today's sermon at all, but uh, I would challenge you, if you speak the English language at all, whether it be American English or British English, you will quote this book whether you want to or not. It is so ingrained in, in our speech. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like messing with my Bible. Amen? And uh, you say, you, you refer to that an awful lot. Yeah, well, there's an awful lot of people out there messing with the Bible. Amen? And we want to make sure that we are not of that number. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me, for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is the night in which he was betrayed. 
Judas had already left. Jesus had revealed to the disciples that uh, one of the twelve would betray him. They had no comprehension of what was going on. And yet, as Jesus just finished in chapter 13 telling Peter that before the sun came up, before the cock crew to announce the coming of the next day three times, would Peter deny the Lord Jesus Christ? If you read the Bible uh, and the story of Peter's denial, he would, the last time, the third time, he would use cursing and swearing. And finally, the people believed that Peter did not know Jesus because Jesus' disciples didn't talk that way. And yet, here's the command. Let not your heart be troubled. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of your hearts were troubled this week? I mean, mine's been. We were working very diligently there and, and, and over at Union this week trying to get things done and yet trying to keep track of what's going on in the world around us and there are just things that trouble my heart. And yet Jesus told the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. If you're familiar with English grammar, uh, the way that this is, uh, uh, would be diagrammed or the, 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 the analysis of the sentence, the subject of the sentence, the one to whom this sentence is spoken is what we call you understood. Because the word you is not necessarily here. He says, let not your heart be troubled. But what he's saying is, you guys have to make a decision. And that decision is not to allow your heart to be troubled. And so the title for this morning's message, if you like those things, is The Cure for a Troubled Heart. I may say, Pastor, I, I could use that cure. My hand goes up. Uh, I, I, my, my heart is troubled about some things. And here's what Jesus is saying. Now, why was Jesus telling his disciples, warning his disciples, saying, you're going to have to make a choice of the will. You're going to have to make a decision with who and what you are, or your heart is going to be troubled. He says, you're going to have to guard against this thing. How many of you feel like you are going against the flow of society? I mean, if you're trying to serve the Bible at all, you, you should feel the backwards pressure of the world. Uh, and, and it is growing in intensity. It says, so... Why was Jesus doing this? Because, could I challenge you, number one, the disciples had no real understanding of what was about to happen. Jesus was going to be arrested. He was going to be tried. He was going to be tortured and beaten. He was going to be crucified. He was going to die. He was going to be buried. And it would not be until three days later that he would rise again from the dead. How many times had Jesus warned his disciples that these things were going to happen? I mean, over and over again. He warned them. Did they understand? No. And Jesus understood the fact that his disciples were going to be blindsided by these events. He understood that they were not prepared. In fact, if Peter had been prepared, he would not deny the fact that he knew the Lord. Jesus said that. But Peter wasn't prepared. And he did deny that he knew the Lord. 
And it wasn't until Resurrection Sunday morning that John walked in the room, in the empty tomb. It says, and he believed. Jesus had to appear personally to Peter that afternoon and explain things to him. It wasn't until that evening when they held the first church service. By the way, that's the reason we still have Sunday night church services, is because the first church service was on Sunday night. And uh, we encourage you to be here. They're important. But what did Luke tell us when Jesus appeared, when he walked through the wall into that locked room? They were ready to climb out the windows. They were full of fear because they did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. You see, they didn't understand what was going to happen. There was no way they could be prepared for what they were going to be experienced except for what Jesus said. He said, I want you to make a decision not to allow your heart to be troubled. How many of you would say, Preacher, that's easier said than done? And it is. But will Jesus had a plan here. He had something that we can follow if, if we will just do it. But I want you to understand that Jesus was telling the disciples this, number one, because they didn't understand what was going to happen. And number two, they did not have a comprehension that what was going to happen had to happen in order to fulfill the Scriptures. Jesus had to suffer. Uh, I wish we had time this morning, uh, and if we took it, we would never get through the message. But if you want to follow the parallels, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take a bullock, which was for his own sins, and he would lay his hands on the head of that bullock, and he would confess his sin. <clears throat> and then he would kill that bullock and take its blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat seven times. He then would repeat that with the blood of a baby goat. There were two goats. And they would cast lots. And one of those goats would be taken by a strong, able man out into the wilderness and let loose. That was the scapegoat. We use that phrase a lot. The other was killed. And the priest would take its blood. And he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. That was the Day of Atonement. The sacrifice had to be killed and cut into pieces. It had to be roasted with fire. Can I take just a moment here? The parallels. You see, as Jesus stood in trial, who was the judge at the trial of Jesus? The high priest? What did he do? He confessed the sins of himself and his people by explaining that they refused to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We do not have evidence that it was the high priest himself, but it was certainly his servants at his permissions laid their hands on Jesus. They pulled the hair out of his face and they beat him and buffeted him until he hardly looked like a human being. Every one of those beatings, they confessed their unbelief and their disdain of him as their God. They fulfilled the biblical paradigm, if you like nice words. The pattern of the scriptures. He was not flayed and cut into pieces with a knife as the sacrifice was, but there was a Roman scourge. The cat of nine tails which in and of itself was a death sentence. 
And Jesus was beaten until every foot on the, every step on the hill till Golgotha's crown where he was nailed to the cross and crucified was coated with the blood of the Savior as it ran down out of the open wounds in his back. He was not roast with the fire of wood, but in the heat of the sun, as he was suspended between earth and heaven. Every prophecy would be fulfilled. But I want you to put yourself in the place of the disciples for a moment. Jesus had told them, that he would be arrested, that he would suffer many things. But how would it be for you to watch those things happen? Would your heart be troubled? When you saw him say... It is finished, and then, Father, into my, thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he died, and he was buried. Would that trouble your heart? I'll tell you, it would. Yet Jesus had given them a command, saying, Let not your heart be troubled. You see, everything they thought they knew about God, about holiness, about truth, was going to be changed. How many of you have ever thought you knew something that you didn't know? Oh, that is a terrifying thing, is it not? And yet, Jesus gave the disciples this commandment. This is an order. This is something that he told them they were supposed to do. And as we've already addressed, a lot easier said than done. Amen? Uh, It's a whole lot easier to say, I'm not going to let my heart be troubled until someone cuts you off in traffic. And then all of a sudden, or as you're pulling up to church, you see an open parking spot. And you're going, Lord, please, please, please. And this car whips around the corner and parks. And you're sitting there going, oh, I can't believe that jerk took my parking. Oh, hi. And it's somebody from the church. Let's hope and pray that never happens. Amen. But that's the way we are. And so what is the cure? Well, number one, it's understanding. That if Jesus commands you to do this, then it's something you can do. How many of you remember the day you got saved? That was a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You say, well, I'm not sure how how much I really believed. Uh, That's not the question. Did you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, the way things work with God, what faith is all about, is He wants you to make that initial commitment. He wants you to make that first step. I love the way one preacher put it as I was a little kid. I remembered it all my life. He said, You take one step to God, and He'll take a step to you. Only His steps are a little bigger than yours. 
He's not going to meet you halfway. He's going to meet you all the way. But he won't meet you until you take that first step. That's what happened when you got saved. Amen? It's that same kind of faith that will cure a troubled heart. Here's how it works. Is number one, you have to understand that it is a choice. That it is something that you do have control over. And you must exercise what little control that you have in order to begin the process of faith. You have got to make that choice in your own heart. I will obey Jesus. And I'm not going to let that fear and that trouble in my heart consume my being. Now here's where it starts. It says you believe in God. That's pretty simple. They were Jewish men. They believed in God. But Jesus said, I'm going to qualify that. Believe also in me. See, you cannot approach God. We'll get to that in verse 6. Without going through Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like and what God is about and who God is, if you want to understand God, you study the life of Jesus Christ. He is the greatest revelation that God has given mankind. As God took upon Him human flesh and lived among us, I often go, and I, I hope that you never get past being astounded with the patience of God toward us as human beings. I mean, if you study the life of Jesus, how many times... Should he have said, that's it, you're gone, I'm going to get another group of guys, we're going to start over. Poof! And it's all gone. He said, oh fools and slow of heart. Oh ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? How many times? And yet he was still there. You see, we believe in God. We believe that... I mean, you have to be full of nonsense to refuse the concept of God. You have to go to school and be trained. That's why they start in kindergarten teaching about evolution now. Because it is not natural for man not to understand about a creator. So they have to start very young in brainwashing. You want to know why our society is the way it is today? We, have, we are reaping the reward of several generations of people who have been trained that there are no absolutes, there are no God, there is no God, there is no right, there is no wrong. That's, that's where we are. Uh, I want to challenge you. There is a God. There is right, as defined by this book. There is wrong, as defined by this book. And I don't care what the Supreme Court says, because the Supreme Court has no jurisdiction when it comes to this book called the Bible. In fact, there used to be men that sat upon that Supreme Court that understood that their inalienable rights to sit on that court were given them by the author of this book. You see, we believe in God. We believe that He created the heaven and the earth. We believe that He's all-powerful, that He's all-knowing. We believe that God is everywhere, that He's watching everything we do. Except our browsing history. Except when someone tells a dirty joke in the break room at work. We believe he's all powerful except when our bank account's short at the end of the month and we got more bills than we do bank account. Oh, we, we believe in God. 
until someone attacks us personally and tries to hurt us and injure us. Then we're going to make things right and we're going to get even. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Just believing that there is a God is not enough. You've got to know that He's personal and that He's going to be personally involved in your life and that every decision that you make as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is under His jurisdiction and at His direction. If you study your Bible, there is just not a lot of things that God has left for you to decide on your own. I am so tired of hearing, well, God created individuals and we're all supposed to express our individuality. If that is true, why is hipster a physically definable set of attributes? How many people know what I'm talking about? I mean, this now and present crowd is what I've always called them. They've changed the attributes. I mean, back in the 60s, it was bell-bottom pants and the flowers stuck in your hair and you drove a Volkswagen van. Uh, Every one of them did the same thing. Now you dye your hairs and you look like you fell in your dad's tackle box. And you get someone to put ink all up and down your arms. It doesn't rub off when you take a bath. And that's and you grow a beard. Now, where in the world did that come from? Who sets the standards? If you're a guy, you grow a beard. I'm sorry. Um, it's it's crazy. How many remember the? Uh, a few years ago, it was the dye jobs. I mean, every once in a while, you'll see someone with green hair, orange hair. But, you know, it used to be four or five colors all at the same time. You remember that? And, and they had the colors in different places, but it was all the same colors. You talk about walking in lockstep. It's not us who believe the Bible that walk in lockstep. It's the world. They all smoke the same dope. They all do the same dumb things. And they're expressing individuality. Yet, if you allow your life to be conformed to the image of Christ, you're somehow a mind-numb robot that has no idea what life is about. Could I challenge you that Jesus Christ knows more about life than the sum total of all the knowledge of all man and all history. And that He would give us direction. And what He's telling the disciples here is, you're going to have a lot of people telling you a lot of things about what's happening to me, but I'm telling you, don't stop believing in me. Even when I'm dead, don't stop believing in me. When I surrender and allow them to arrest me, you don't stop believing in me. Because I haven't stopped being God. I am doing what must be done in order to obey God and save you from your sins. You don't have a clue as to what's going on. It's been planned before the foundation of the universe and I'm going to fulfill it. Everything you think you know is going to be turned upside down and inside out. But that's only because you don't know what you think you know. And so you must make a choice. I'm either going to believe in God, or I'm going to believe in Hillary. I'm either going to believe in God, or believe in Trump. And if you believe in either one of those guys, I don't even know what to do. I, I normally tell people, when you've got a real problem, sign up for counseling. But if you think they're going to solve all, either one of those could solve all of our problems, I, I almost have to say, you're past the counseling stage. Uh, we'll, we'll set up emergency intervention. Uh, there, there's just no way. Your faith is so misdirected. That you ought to be terrified.
Because the only place that you're going to find any stability in this world is in God. There's a preacher preaching years ago when the communist threat was huge and, and uh, uh, he's talking about the... Uh, uh, and, and I remember hearing sermons as a kid that there'll be a hammer and sickle waving over the White House and all of this kind of stuff and, and preachers were trying to be dramatic and said they're going to come in, they're going to take away our freedom and they're going to take away our churches and they're going to take away our Bibles and we'll be left with nothing but God. And they realized what he said. He said, you know, there's nothing we need but God. You see, that's what Jesus meant when he says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, he's personal. He knows what's going on. He knows what's troubling you. He knows what you're going to face long before you face it. He knows the way things have to be in order for His will to be fulfilled. Aren't you glad you don't have that knowledge? If somebody had told me uh, about all the things that we would do and, and find and endure, uh, even just with Union Baptist Church... I may have quit before we started if I'd known all these things. Every time we come to a point where it's like, okay, we can start to breathe easier now. Hey, Dad, come here. Uh, I found something. Shut up, Andrew. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Okay, what is it? Uh, let's take pictures of it. We'll send it to the engineer. What do we got to He said, talk to this guy. So we talk. Oh, your problem's not near as bad as it looks. Every time. You know what? God knows what's going on. You see, look what verse 2 says. In my Father's house are many mansions. I guess I have to say this. If you've got one of them newfound Bibles, it's got a, in my Father's house are many rooms. If you look up the word mansion, it simply means living place. But if I had the choice between living in a rented room and a mansion, how many of you want the rented room? I mean, there's living and living in style. Amen? And if you're going to live with Jesus, it's not going to be a rented room with a shared bathroom. Amen? Uh, it's going to be a mansion. It's going to be something wonderful. It's going to be something that's far beyond anything we could describe. But I'll promise you this, when you finally get there, you're not going to spend much time in your mansion. Because you're going to want to be around the throne. Because that's what heaven's all about. Amen? But here's what Jesus says. He says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, how long did it take God to create the universe in which we now find ourselves, the sole living inhabitants? I do not believe in extraterrestrial life other than angels. Now, that I believe in. But there aren't people, there aren't weird creatures on other planets. That only exists in Star Wars, Star Trek, and the minds of people who actually think that's documentary rather than fiction. And unfortunately, there's a lot of them out there. Listen. He created this earth in six days. I love arguing with the evolutionists. You believe God created the earth in seven days? I said, I do not. It only took six. He rested on the seventh. Read your Bible, amen? I, I just love playing games with those people. There's so little to play with, but you can have some fun on occasion. And the, the truth is, Jesus left nearly 2,000 years ago to prepare a place for us. 
It took him only six days to make this entire universe. Do you get that? You see, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Can I challenge you? Number one, you've got to understand that not allowing your heart to be troubled, the cure for a troubled heart, is understanding it's a decision. It's a choice that you have to make. Number two, it comes from believing in a personal God who is vastly more interested in the decisions you make in your life and with your life than you are. He loves you more. He cares more about the choices we make than we do. Number three, we make a choice not to allow our hearts to be troubled because of the promise of eternity. One preacher put it this way, trying to illustrate the point. He said, if I could give you everything you wanted for a hundred years, everything, anything, and you would spend eternity in hell, Or, you could do without some things and suffer a little bit on this earth in the hundred years or so that you may live on this earth and spend eternity in heaven. Wouldn't you be a fool to choose the first? Because when you compare eternity to a hundred years, it's nothing. You haven't even gotten warmed up yet. You haven't even gotten through the introduction A hundred years on eternity's doorstep. You haven't even had time to wipe the dust off your shoes. And yet we continually choose what we can see and what we can hold in our hands. And we allow it to consume us with grief and turmoil. When we have the prospect of eternity living in the very presence of Almighty God. You see, that's how we get over a troubled heart. It's a choice. You got to make it. You got to believe in God. But you got to believe in Jesus, the personal God that has a personal connection to you, that is vastly interested in every decision that you make, that has given us a promise of eternity to those that will believe on Him, that will bring their sins to Jesus. He has promised you that He will give you eternity with Him. And then Jesus makes a statement here in verse 4. And whither I go, you know, in the way you know. Jesus says, where I'm going, you know about it, and you know how to get there. How many of you have taken a wrong turn in New York City? Gotten on a subway, headed the wrong direction. I mean, every one of us have done that. And here Jesus is. Telling the disciples, now remember, he told them not to allow their heart to be troubled because they didn't understand what was going to happen. They didn't understand that the things that were going to happen had to happen the way they did in order to fulfill God's Word. And they had no clue that everything that they believed, everything they thought they knew was going to be turned upside down, inside out, and wrong way out. Everything was going to change. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I'm coming back, that where I am, there you may be also. And he says, whether I'm going, you know, and the way you know. Philip couldn't handle it anymore. 
He's going. Or Thomas, I'm sorry. Philip comes next. Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Wait a minute, where did Jesus tell him that he was going? To his father's house. How could you miss this? Well, may I extend the right hand of fellowship and say welcome to the human race. Because that's where we all are. We miss the obvious. We miss the things that are so simple. And we get so upset by the things that are so meaningless. Jesus said, going to my father's house. Philip says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I'll tell you, if you don't have this next verse memorized, you ought to commit it to your memory more than your memory. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, let me explain to you, there's a lot of false Christ out there. How do you tell the difference between a true Christ and a false Christ? Well, it's very easy. You study their characteristics. You see, there's a religion that teaches about a Jesus who has a brother. His name is the devil. And that the father chose Jesus' way of love rather than the devil's way of hate. And so he became the enemy of Jesus and the enemy of all the people of Jesus. Now, if you believe that, then you would be qualified to be a Mormon because that's what they teach about Jesus. See, Jesus and the devil aren't brothers. Jesus is God. The devil is the highest created angel who rebelled against God. See, there's a religion that teaches that it's often worded this way. Who is more strict, your father or your mother? Your father, right? How many have heard this speech in the church you used to attend? And so what we do in order to gain God's favor is we, we talk to him through his mother. And that's why we pray to Mary. Because Jesus will be much more inclined to hear our prayers and to love us if Mary talks to him in our place. I want to challenge you that Jesus is not in the Bible. He is God and God is love. And he does not need a human being to give him help. It's foreign to the Scriptures. You see, there is no other way. It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be through the cross. But I am so glad that I'm a Baptist. You see, we have no crucifixes in the Baptist church. Because Jesus finished all the suffering once and forever. We have an empty cross because the work is finished. And we were reminded of that work because we need to be reminded and understand how horrible our sins are and how good our God is. Can we say amen to that nice and loud? See, Jesus said, I am the way. I remember once when uh, we were visiting my uh, grandmother's house there in central Pennsylvania. I said, I want to take you for a walk in the woods. Take you down where uh, I used to go as a little child. We used to play and 
And uh, I got everybody together and and uh, we went out walking through the woods and we got down the, the little dirt road about oh, a couple hundred yards. And all of a sudden the canopy of the trees started closing in. And it was really uh, the, the forest was so thick that it was it was just like walking almost into a cave. Uh, you could not see. You could just see little bits of the sunlight filtering through. It was wonderful. I always have loved that cool and and uh, just shaded. And, and, and it was Andrew who was only about this high back then. Said, Dad, the sun's going down. We're going to get lost. I said, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. You just can't see the sun because the trees are in the way. I said, how about this? I said, why don't you hold my hand? Then it won't matter. That seemed to calm him down a little bit. You know, does it really matter where you are if you're holding Jesus' hand? Does it? Let not your heart be troubled. We get our heart troubled because we forget that Jesus is the way. How many of you have ever tried to solve a problem for God? Oh my. Every one of us have. And you wonder why you have a troubled heart? Let me tell you something. The only way you get over a troubled heart is understanding Jesus is the way. Everything we know from this book called the Bible is called in question today. I'm told that I'm a hater, a hate monger, because I believe the sin of sodomy, the sin of homosexuality is evil. But I want to challenge you. These people who struggle with trying to figure out whether they're a boy or a girl, the transgender, we hear so much about that today. How many of you would like to know what the suicide rate is among the transgender community? I can't find any statistics on that, but I've never heard one of them give a testimony of how of the struggle that they're having without talking about multiple suicide attempts. Let me tell you, there's a reason God calls sin, sin. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth Fourth, death. I don't care what sin it is. What's the expect life expectancy of a heroin user? Hmm? I don't know. But I'll guarantee you this. It's only a very small part of what life expectancy without heroin is. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And by the way, I don't care all the advances that we have. You know what the greatest gift a child can be given is a mother and father who live in the same home with their children and love each other. It's the greatest gift a child can be given. Uh, Who figured that out, by the way? I think it was God in the Garden of Eden, amen? Sorry, get a little upset about people who think they know more than God does. You see, Jesus was not kidding around when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
I'll put my life up against anybody's who has lived their own way and against the things of the Bible. I win. I've got peace. I've got joy. I've got a future. I've got hope. I've got an answer when things go wrong. I've seen God work miracles. You're sitting in one this morning. And that's not the only miracle God has done. We could go around telling the stories of people's lives who were on the way to hell that are now on the way to heaven and now they're serving God together in a church. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way than Jesus. Can we say amen to that? You see, Philip then says, Lord, can we see the Father? And Jesus said, verse 9, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me? How could Jesus say it any more plain than that? He said, I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything you need to know about God, you'll find in Jesus Christ. You see, that's the answer. You first got to be saved. Then, you got to believe in Jesus. Not only to save you, but to take you through the valley of the shadow of death, should you have to walk that way. To bring you through difficult times. To bring you through times. Because let me ask you a question. Do you understand what's going to happen tomorrow any more than the disciples understood what was going to happen when they moved out of that room? How many would say, I think I can identify with the disciples there. Okay? Uh, Let me ask you a question. The things that God is going to bring about in the future to fulfill His prophecy, is He going to change them because you ask Him to? Absolutely not. He's not going to answer those prayers. God will fulfill His prophecy and... When, you, when we get to heaven, I'll tell you one thing. We'll understand that God's way was best. We'll understand that the lessons that we needed to learn had to be learned the way that God brought them to us. Can you trust God with that? Will you allow God... To take your understanding of life and your belief about God and conform it to the words of this book, whether you like it or not. You see, in order to be a Christian, God has got to change everything about you. You've got to give up on your understanding of reality, your perception of what is true and not God is going to change it all, but it's going to be in conformity to this book. That's how you tell the difference between the fake Christ and the real Christ. Between fake religion and real religion. Real religion, the truth, will always point you toward this book in Jesus Christ. That's why I give the challenge. I don't know how often I give it. Uh, Probably not often enough. But you need to take the Bible and go home and check out what I said and make sure it's in this book. That's your personal responsibility between you and God. You know what? No other religion will give you that promise. You can't go to the Jehovah's Witnesses and have them tell you, go home and read your Bible and make sure that what we teach is in there. Because what they teach is not in this book. It's in their books.
I'm a Baptist because it only took one book. I got rid of my whole library and got one book. Now, I use other books, yes, but only as they help me understand this one. I don't need psychology books to help people. I need this book. I don't need marriage counseling books to help people have a good marriage. I just need to do what's in this book. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The cure for a troubled heart. You see, we're in the same shape that the disciples were. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't understand why things have to happen the way they do. And we certainly don't know as much as we think we do. But it's a choice. By God's grace, I'm going to make that choice each and every day. To believe in God. To believe in Jesus. And not to allow my heart to be troubled. When I feel it coming, I just stop. Okay, Lord, this is your problem. Because you're a personal God. You care about what troubles this little heart here. And I bring this to you. You see, I have the promise of all eternity with Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, structural stability is not such a big issue anymore. That building's going to fall down one of these days anyway. We're just going to try to keep it that way, keep it from falling down until Jesus comes. Amen? Somebody attacks me. Even another person who calls himself a Christian. Hey, guess what? I'm going to live in heaven with you whether you like it or not if you're saved. Ha ha ha. So you might as well get over it. Amen? got the promise of eternity together. Let's practice a little. Amen? Can we have a little fun on Sunday morning? And there is no other way. It's high praise to me when I meet someone that I haven't seen in 10, 15 years. Someone maybe used to come to our church especially and they'll say what are you doing? oh same thing we were doing when you left really? you don't change it oh no we don't need to change we didn't need to change anything we were doing when 9-11 happened we just kept doing because we were already doing what was right amen and we're going to keep doing what's right till Jesus comes back because there is no other way We don't need a new improved. I'll tell you, there's nothing that will trouble your heart more than something new and improved. Just stick with the truth. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this day and we thank you that there is a cure for the troubled heart in your word. And Lord, it's not just a God bless you and be warmed and filled, but there's actually things that we can do and see and decisions that can be made, uh, a plan to overcome and control the fear that is in our own hearts. Lord, I pray that as people are sitting here, we have some, I'm sure, that are contemplating eternity and they don't have that promise. They've never been saved. Lord, today would be the best day they could possibly get saved. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to open their heart and their understanding as to what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those that have made that decision. They do believe in God, but they don't believe in a personal God that meets personal needs and influences personal decisions that today they would repent of that unbelief and believe in God and believe in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would allow our hearts and our minds to look beyond this veil of tears, the human life in which we live, and look to eternity 
and allow the eternal presence of Almighty God to make these walls, these barriers, these attacks fall into true insignificance. Lord, we pray that you would convince us with every ounce of our fiber that there is no other way than the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other truth than what's in the Bible. There is no other way than to hold His hand. Lord, we ask that we'd be able to live for You in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.